Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, April 1st, 2021. Well, as we flip our calendars to April today and begin a new month, we are also reminded that that means that Easter is now just a few days away. That's right. In just a few days, we will be gathering to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, the day when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And what a joyful day that will be. But I also want you to think about, at least in our culture, the opportunity that Easter presents to every Christian. While our culture has tried to do what it does with holidays and make Easter about bunnies and eggs and pastel colors, right? Many people still have at least some connection in their mind of this day and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And uh, more people will likely attend church this Sunday than any other Sunday this year. And I think this presents an incredible opportunity for Christians as you look at your neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and whatever that may be. One, this might be the easiest time of year to start a conversation about the gospel. As Easter is right here, I mean, it's be a lot easier than normal just to ask somebody, so Easter, you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you think that actually happened? And what a great evangelistic conversation to have, right? Because so much of what we believe, even according to God's word, comes down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because it happens, we know that God's word is true and what Jesus accomplished was right and good and and fulfilled. And if it didn't happen, well, then the Bible makes it clear we're all wasting our time. So seizing on that opportunity to talk to people about the reality of the resurrection is, is an incredible thing. Also, this is the easiest Sunday of the year to invite someone to join you at church, right? Because more people will, will attend church this week than any other week. That's just the facts. Um, and so that presents an opportunity for you to invite someone and then to talk to them. That would set up a conversation about what it really means to follow Jesus and the significance of what he has done. And I'm very excited for this weekend at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, as we're going to be looking at Matthew 13, 44 to 46 and talking about how there really is no treasure like Jesus. But this Easter opportunity we're talking about today really gives us an opportunity to do what we see in one of our passages today in Psalm 40. Even as we start in verse 9, look at how it begins. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And so here we see uh, David talking about what we we read yesterday about how he had been delivered, pulled out of the pit of destruction and his feet had been set upon a rock. And now he's saying, God, I am going to tell that news. I am going to share the good news 
of what you have done. I am not going to restrain my lips. I'm not just going to be just thankful in my heart for your salvation. I am going to share that with others. And so one of the questions I want to ask you today is what are you going to do about this Easter opportunity this week? Are you going to hide the deliverance of God within your heart? Or are you going to seek to use these next few special days on the calendar with Good Friday and Easter to share the good news of the salvation that God has provided for you and the salvation that is available to the whole world through Jesus Christ. I'm praying that God creates many opportunities this Easter for us to tell of what God has done for us. And even as we think about Easter and the resurrection of Christ or Good Friday and his death on the cross for us, uh, what God has done through those things should fill us with confidence for the future. And we see some of that confidence as David continues in verse 11, as he says, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And he goes on to talk about lots of the trouble that he is facing in life, but he has a confidence, God, you're not going to hold back your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will continue to preserve me. Uh, There might be opportunity for you this week to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that your life is going great this week. Who knows what kinds of trials you are facing? But as we remember the death of Christ, as we remember his resurrection, that should fill us with confidence that no matter what trial we're currently facing, we can be confident that God will not restrain his mercy from his people. And that surely goodness and mercy will follow his people all the days of their life. And what a what a blessing that is. What a comfort and a confidence that should be to us. And that should make us dependent on God. And that's where we see this psalm end in verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Isn't that an encouraging thought that the Lord takes thought for me, that God is aware of my problems, God is aware of my trials, and he takes thought of me. And if I need any greater proof of that, God thought so much about the plight of sinful humanity that he sent his son to die on a cross. And may that fill us with the kind of confidence that we see from David here. Another theme that we're going to see in a couple other passages that we look at today is really a theme of holiness. And we're going to start by seeing that in Deuteronomy 13 and 14. And now Deuteronomy 13 says some pretty powerful things. It talks about if someone comes along and actually does miracles and signs, but if they start saying things that aren't true and start trying to tempt people to follow an idol, that person is to be killed. And next it goes on, even if it's your son or your mother or your daughter or your wife or uh, your brother, if they start enticing you to go after idols, they must be put to death. And finally, it says, even if a whole city goes astray, that city needs to be utterly destroyed. Now, as we apply these things today, we must remember that the instructions God's giving in the law, he's setting up laws for a nation, right? The nation of Israel. So 
We need to obviously think differently about the application of some of these things, right? If your brother tempts you to sin, do not put him to death. That is not the nation that we are living in. But the, the theme of holiness here still should apply in such a strong way. We, we should be aware of the ways that uh, people under the guise of religion or people within our families or people in our culture will try to pull us away from following the one true God. And there will be times where we need to react strongly to that. But the point of what God is making to the people here is they must be holy. And that's where we should also desire to be holy today. And that's what extends into chapter 14, especially as he talks about clean and unclean foods, right? He's making the point that you must be holy. That's what he says there in verse 21, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now that is something that is still true for every believer. Uh, The application of it may have changed, right? We we don't have the right to enforce these Old Testament laws, right? That we see in chapter 13 of putting people to death. We shouldn't do that. The New Testament makes clear we are not bound by these laws of clean and unclean food, but we see very clearly that God desires his people to be holy. And so I hope these passages get you thinking about, does my life look just like the world? Or is my like set apart? And that's clearly one of the reasons why he gives them these instructions of not cutting themselves or not making any baldness and the food laws because they were to stand out from the world. And may we as Christians stand out from the world, not just because of traditions that we keep, but because really of the holiness of our hearts and that we are walking a path of purity in a world that is very impure. And we know that that world is very impure. And we saw that in Romans chapter one yesterday. And we considered how the second half of Romans chapter one reads like a history of America for the last 100 years. But then chapter two, as we're going to look at verses one through 11 today, Paul kind of turns his attention from the pagan culture to those that consider themselves religious. And he calls them out very strongly right away. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? I mean, how many religious people are there in the United States of America that cry about uh, how bad our culture is and and how sad the direction our, our culture is going? And all of that is true, of course. But while they're crying about all of those things, they are uh, watching pornography regularly, or they are walking in a pattern of drunkenness, or, or they are indulging in really some of the same sins that they're calling out the culture for. That is not the way it should be. God wants his people to be holy. God wants his people to actually live differently from the sinful culture around us. And we see there, even it talks about God rendering to each one according to his works. Now, we got to put our thinking caps on here because in chapter three, we're going to find out, well, no one is good. And we're going to see a big point of this letter is that justification is through faith and not by works. 
I think this is one of the moments where Paul, he's not trying to kind of set up a trick question where God's judging everyone according to his works here and and you're all bad, so sorry, you all lose. I think, no, he's applying what we see throughout the New Testament that salvation is by faith and it's by faith alone, not by works, but true faith will then produce works. And so when it talks about God in giving reward to those who seek for glory and honor and immortality and them giving eternal life, I think we should step back and kind of take a picture of the whole New Testament to see that's talking about people who clearly have been saved by faith, not by works, but then their lives have been changed by the transforming power of the grace of God. And that should be our prayer. That should be our desire. One, we can't live out the perfect life on our own. No, we should see our own sin. And even if we've grown up and thought of ourselves as religious, we should realize, no, I have the same problem with sin that the pagan culture does. And thank God for verse four, because his kindness and his patience is meant to lead me to repentance. And as I turn from my sin and put my faith in God, I am saved. I am declared righteous. I am given the righteousness of Christ. But even more than that, my heart is transformed so that then I should and will live differently. So may this be an encouragement to us to live holy lives set apart from the sinful culture around us. Finally, let's look at Matthew 26, 1 through 13. And here, as we're in the middle of Passion Week right now, we are reading a story that takes place in the middle of Passion Week. We see Jesus telling that he is going to be crucified. And we see the chief priests and the leaders of the people scheming together to do just that. But then we see an example of a woman anointing the feet of Jesus in Bethany. What we can put together as we look at all the gospels is that this clearly seems to be Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And speaking of resurrection, Lazarus was resurrected. He was raised from the dead by Jesus. So I think in many ways we can see this as a a genuine act of gratitude on the part of Mary as she pours out her thanksgiving and worship for what Jesus had done for her brother. And so as we Talk about an Easter opportunity today, about sharing with others earlier. Well, now I want to close by just thinking about the opportunity that we have personally to pour out our thanks to Jesus this week. This Jesus who didn't just raise our brother from the dead, but this Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And if we are a believer, has worked to raise us from the dead. May this week be an incredible opportunity for you to reflect on the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you and to pour out your worship and your thanksgiving and your gratitude to him. May we not miss the opportunities that this resurrection week is offering to us. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.